Hey everyone, welcome to An Event for Life with Brad Cox and Shane Buzzer. I'm Brad. And I'm Shane. An Event for Life is the podcast where we take you on a journey through eventful lives of inspirational event industry leaders from around the world. That's right. We'll be sharing their stories, impact and insight into the complex world of events. So if you like these stories, don't forget to like, subscribe and share with your mates. This is An Event for Life. Hey Buzz, we're back mate. We Can you believe it? We certainly are. Season two. Yeah, we're here. I it's, know. Uh, it's been a little while. Has been months, actually, through the winter. Two uh, months. A little bit of a break. Yeah. August was the last time. Jeez. So okay. no one's heard our voice for, since then, which is not too bad. You ever, give everyone a little break. I was going to say people probably needed a break, but um, it's good to be back. Uh, I've been looking forward to coming back, actually. It's been a brutal few months, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, work-wise. You know, been all over the place, Sydney and US and regional. Yeah, uh, you've been busy. You haven't stopped. Yeah, yeah, been all over the place, but I mean that's that's great. Um, and I kind of thrive on that really. Uh, I would have, uh, I, I missed home actually at one point, but um, you know we're we're getting into spring now. And I how mean, many nights did you spend in your house? Uh, be there, honest, it was like an eight week period or something. And how many nights did you do? What six. Was it? Yeah, I was home for six nights in a six two month nights. window. Um, but uh, you know it, it was good experiences. Sydney especially that was during the soccer. Uh, the Women's World Cup, yeah, that nice. was incredible. Unbelievable. Um, America's America, that was great. And then uh, we did the long walk to Canberra. We did, yeah. Actually, we did. Uh, we thanks did. for that. Yes, yes. yes. Come in. So while you were gallivanting around in the in the US, I uh, I chipped in there for a little bit. But uh, no, it was good fun. So, And look at us. We're sitting here in the new Eventful Life studios. We Can are. you believe it? I know. Um, it's pretty exciting. So Blue Event Productions have yep. moved into some new digs and here we are in the new studio, which is the eventful life studio let's it just is. call it that yeah yeah but new digs that's a bit of an understatement the size of this joint is <laughs> enormous so yeah. but uh obviously suits your purposes and uh congratulations it's uh it's very cool and thank you uh, we've got a got a few more exciting things to, to come season two i which know is, which is great so now I was, we're going to branch into state we're going into state yep. we're going into state we've got some interstate guests we've got some international guests coming up um, and I was going to put us on the spot and say we're going to change our structure a little bit and commit ourselves to the listener that we're going to release a podcast every week moving forward to the end of the year. Hello. So, okay. Oh, this is the first I'm hearing of this, but uh, sure. I'm just, I'm yeah, in. exactly. So we'll put you on the spot. If we had talked about it, you would have pulled out. So No, no, it's fine. <laughs> that's all right. Hey, season one was really well, and thank you to everyone who's listened to us, and that's why we've been so fortunate to come back and do season two. We've got the new studios and a lot of exciting things happening. But, um, yeah, and went really And guests, well. yeah, yeah, absolutely. The guests were incredible. So the, to everyone who did listen and is tuning in again, thank you very much for the support. It's, uh, it's been amazing. So... Um, but it's certainly been a busy period, you know, that sort of time off we had, you know, Ju- July, August to, to now in October. We're here in Melbourne, um, which is, you know, major event land and a half at the moment. AFL Grand Final has been on. Uh, we finished up to New South Wales at Bathurst 1000 on, which yeah. is right up my alley. Uh, and then into Melbourne Marathon last week. And then Spring Racing Carnival is the next thing. Yep, which is, uh, that's my time to shine. Yeah, I, yeah. I love the spring carnival. I've noticed I mean, your shirt and ties are starting to come out a little bit more. Oh, in the iron, you know, all those things, just got to dust them off. But uh, a few days like today, I mean, it's 28 degrees today. It's, Unbelievable. It's, it's, we need a few more of those. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, and look, you were in Adelaide yesterday and down Penfolds there having a little uh, sip on some on Grange or something. That was, that was business. Oh, okay. uh, yeah, business. Yeah, yeah right. It was all so, business. Thanks, Carlton, in business. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice, shameless little plug. Yeah. Uh, very good, very good. Hey, um, Let's get into the, today's episode, mate. I think it's it's time to do it. Um, this could go a lot of different ways, oh, by the way. Look out. Um, so we're getting yeah. season two off to a to flying start. And I know you've missed my intro, so let me roll this out. Today's guest, 
a man with one of the biggest smiles in the business and more hair than you and I could ever dream about. <laughs> uh, he's a talent on and off the stage as an entertainer, musician, speaker, actor, producer, songwriter, musical director, composer and creative director. He has starred alongside many of the biggest names in music in a career spanning over 30 years. And with, the, with that full repertoire, he's one of the most laid back and relaxed guys. Would you please welcome the incredibly talented Phil Sobrano. Welcome, Phil. Well, it is great to be here. <laughs> That's very serious. All right. You know, we, we, we need real Phil. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny when uh, when people read out the, uh, what do you call it? It's a um, little bio little maybe. Bio or, yeah. thing. This is your life. Yeah, <laughs> that sort of thing. Uh, one of the thoughts I had as you were reading that out is um, uh, with the titles of the things that I do, I put as many of them down uh, because they're things that I've done, but it's also... Uh, just to put the message out there that, that if uh, there are any options on any of those things coming up, right? So I'm sort of adaptable and, and ready to sort of move when <laughs> multitasking yeah, that's right. as but needed when needed. There's also yeah. a job title that we didn't include: proud new father. Oh, Congratulations! Yes. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, little that, boy. And, I mean, yeah, exactly, and that ties into one of those um, one of those titles there of actor. <laughs> I was in an ad, a, a TV ad, many many years ago for AMP. Um, and the whole theme was, what do you look forward to? And the line was, I look forward to being called dad, but not just yet. And this was like, I don't know, 20 years ago. Here we are. And here I am. There you go. You'd be able to get that out and uh, show your son in a few years' time and say, dad, dad didn't commit back then, but I'm committed now. <laughs> exactly. So. Sadly, I found that ad and they'd overdubbed my voice. Bastards. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, we want to hear your voice. Exactly. And, and look, yeah. let's take it back to your childhood. Um because family becomes a big part of your career as well. Um, you're not from Australia originally, so how and when did you arrive here and, and how did music in particular make its way into your life? Okay, so my father uh, was in the United States Marine Corps and he met my mother in Adelaide on a tour. He used to play uh, trumpet in, in the marching oh, band. Cool. Right? That's awesome. And uh, they had a romance and uh, then... He sort of took her back to Hawaii, his, where, where he's from, and uh, they had my brother and myself and then with a pregnant um, mum, pregnant with Kate, came back uh, to live here in Melbourne and that was in 1966. Right, so I was two when we, when we moved okay. out here yep. uh, and then grew up in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne. And the music thing, um, my first love has always been acting uh, and, and performing live. Okay. So the music thing was sort of just a, um, this is a sideline thing. I, I started playing guitar when I was about 13, 14. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't even know that. I just assumed younger. But Yeah. And did your dad have an influence over that after dad playing played, the band and stuff? Dad played ukulele yeah. and um, used to have these these barbecues and get-togethers there was all we had a sort of an open door policy so there was always people in the uh, house my dad's a, a martial arts like guru and so he, he'd always have a lot of his students over and so we'd have these big parties and um, people would bring out guitars and he'd bring out, out his ukulele and I had a bit of an interest in fact the reason I started playing guitar was I started on drums um, and I yeah was like was okay, but I got lost in the music. The the drum music yeah. mm. became. I just wanted to play on a drum kit, right? And my dad had a student who 
who did a, a sort of a deal. He couldn't afford to, to pay for lessons, so uh, he said, oh, look, I'm a guitarist. Would Phil want to learn how to play guitar and we'll do it as a kind of a contra? And so I said, yeah, that sounds all right. I'll, I'll have a go. It wasn't like it was some major passion. Yeah. But um, it kind of grew as a passion as I, as the further I got into it. Yeah, right. So was that a quick passion project? Like did that passion, did it come quickly once you sort of started to evolve? Or no, just it took a while. A bit of a hobby? It took a while just, because, yeah it, yeah, it sort of was like a, a journey. I started on an acoustic guitar, so I was playing kind of Bob Dylan and folky kind of stuff, yeah. Neil Young. My journey kind of really begins as an electric guitarist when uh, I started to listen to Eric Clapton and, and Jimmy Page and um, and Jeff Beck and Fleetwood Mac, mm. you know, and when I sort of heard that rawness of what a guitar can do in the, and, and I bought my first electric guitar, uh, that's kind of when it all started. And, and the blues. I really loved the blues and that old kind of – and I was really into Jimi Hendrix and Santana and that. Did it come naturally or did you have to work hard? Oh, no, 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 not at all. In fact, I've got a real sort of thing about the term uh, natural ability. Um, I've also done a lot of school talks at, at, at high schools throughout Australia yep. and uh, I, I did a whole bit on, on natural ability. And when that term gets bandied about, it can be, a real, it can be really off-putting for someone who wants to get into something because they'll see someone who's been deemed with natural ability and they go, well, I can... I don't have that. I can never aspire to be like that. I'm just going to quit, right? But everyone I know who who apparently has this natural ability um, is also a really hard worker and has really worked very, very, very hard at what they do. Yeah. My, my sister being one of them. Yep. Um, I was good friends with Michael Hutchins and oh, when yeah. he first started he was a gangly sort of acne mm. scarred kind of, you know, and he worked at it. He worked at it really, really hard. So I think that there's a natural desire and passion for something that you can throw yourself into something. And 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 physi- physiologically with singing, I think some bodies uh, are better built to sing, right? And Hendrix had really long fingers, you know, so you can – but someone like Hendrix, you know, oh, yeah, natural, natural. No, he, he never had a guitar out of his hands. So he was playing. Constantly. So they talk about the 10,000 hours, you know. Yeah. And, and the people around you as well. I mean, you know, you were, you were surrounded by music. You mentioned your dad playing ukulele and your sister's into music. Oh, yeah. I, you know, was your brother? I'm not sure. Was he into music? A little but, bit, but it wasn't. But, we weren't like the Partridge family. Okay. It was a sort of a personal journey, really. It was, And for me, it was all about what's cool. Yeah. Because I was obsessed with what's cool, you know, always. You, you still kind of are, let's be honest. Yeah, ab- <laughs> absolutely, you know, and and it's to me it's trying to kind of unravel the mystery of um, what attracts us to things, mm. you know, um, and especially jumping way, way forward to now being a creative director of a PR company and working with companies uh, on trying to find what their message is in order to communicate that out to the world and attract people to their products yep. or their brand. I've always been obsessed with finding out what that factor is, that, dare I say, X factor. And and can you create it or is it just does it just sort of land in your lap? Innate I, or, yeah. Innate, you know. Yeah. You know, you, I look at my little baby Jimmy and I think, wow, he's, he's got charisma, there's something about him. But am I projecting that onto him through my absolute adoration for this little guy, you mm. know? Um, and I do think you can create adoration 
and myth and mystique by um, how you word your uh, bio. <laughs> which was impressive. And so, you know, you, you mentioned you started at 13, which yeah. I guess fast forward a few years, you, you're in your, your teen years. And so you mentioned acting. Was was acting still at this stage your the career path that that's you saw? All yourself, that's all you wanted to do? So it's was guitar still just a hobby at that kind yeah. of late teen period? Oh, yeah. 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 Um, all I ever wanted to do was once I'd seen the film Fame in 1979 on my first date, I wanted to move to New York and study in one of those um, performing arts high schools. Mm-hmm. We didn't have them here. We had the VCA, which yeah, was a yeah. very kind of uh, established institution, you know. I was, I, I'm not going to say I was a dumbass at school. I was terrible, terrible at maths. I was great at history and English um, but I, and I was terrible at science and I would do that classic argument of like... Um, I'm never going to need this. Mm. When am I ever going to need this, (laughs) you know? Um, And in order to get into the VCA, you needed your HSC. So I had to see those few years out. And I was out of there, uh, I think, around year, I I don't even know where I started, whether I started year 11. I was probably out of there year 10. And uh, I got a job uh, in a leatherworking factory making belts and sandals and bags and pursued acting. I got sort of – I auditioned for a theatre company called Theatre Works. Yep. And bang, I was acting. And well, Brad, Brad's got a little bit of background oh, no, in theatre. That's, so. that's one time only. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, my theatre background goes a little bit more off stage than on stage, that's for sure. So, I've got to say the theatre – uh, and acting was one of the best things, especially that kind of acting was community yep. theatre. Absolutely. It was one of the best things I could have ever done because you literally had to go into shopping centres, community halls, uh, caravan parks and set up and perform, right? Now, for a teenager, late teens at that time uh, and all the kind of pains and awkwardness, that you there was no room for that and so nothing could be... I, I, after that, I felt like I could I could do anything. I felt like I could get up on any stage because nothing could be as terrifying as performing in front of a bunch of um, louts mm. at RMIT, <laughs> <laughs> trying yeah. to do this theatre show, right? and then halfway through bailing because it's like this is just not hitting. This is we've been <laughs> this we shouldn't have been booked. So it's, hum- <laughs> it's humbling, should Probably. we say? Yeah, yeah. Humbling. humbling. Yeah, completely yeah. humbling. But um, but character building. builds that resolve. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so on one That's of great. the great things about theatre too is just that community aspect because oh, yeah. everyone's got a a single-minded approach. Like you're working on the same product together, so it's no different than an event. And that's this. I guess the, the similarity between even. the two yeah. of them. But the fact that you, I mean, for me personally, theatre became about. The fact that you know I wasn't going to be the greatest sports star. I was never going to play on the on the AFL team or the cricket team and yeah. so forth. So my school had an amazing music program and theatre program, and that's where we found our like minded people that then supported each other and built our own little community that effectively started my career in some ways. If I had never had that, I would not be where I am today, and probably very similar. I would say. Well, that's the only reason I went to high school. Yes, yeah. for the school play. There you go. <laughs> that's the only reason I went, and. And once I had that 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 feeling, and it was a, it wasn't a sense of oh I'm up on the stage and everyone's giving me attention I'm going to thrive on that. It wasn't that I know that for a fact. It was that this is what I've been put here to do, right? It, it was kind of I actually feel like in the same way yeah. as let's say someone uh, some little kid 
starts uh, gets a go kart and pulls it to bits and puts it back together and goes, oh, I'm going to be into auto mechanics. That's yeah. what I'm here to do. Same thing. Yeah. It was very much that. That's what I know I can do, right? And I kind of wish, and I think there is, they do have them now, but I wished back then that there were like performing arts schools that I could have been plucked out of that one and just plonked in uh, into. But um, I had to kind of make it up myself so I, I sort of, carved that path yeah. through theatre and theatre works and then I got an agent and I was doing ads and got a few parts and a few little things here and there. One of the, the um, uh, setbacks, uh, brick walls a little bit, was back in those days, early 80s, uh, there were very few roles for um, ethnic-looking people. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. I knew that's where you were going. Yeah, wow. yeah. yeah. I'd go to all the auditions, all the catacalls, and a lot of the time I would I would be told, "Oh, Phil, that was really good. You 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 blitzed that, right?" It would be we can't get your look wow. in. So I would get roles as a uh, boat person, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, a punk because it's like, well, punks can be kind of from minor, minority groups. Yeah, you know, it was all very kind of. And after a while, it was like. Could you see it? Did you understand what was happening at the time? Well, the connection I made was at the time my sister had started playing in pubs and clubs Mm -hmm. and then she got a gig uh, with a sort of a very artsy band at the time called I'm Talking Um, and she was getting sent scripts and I was like, but hang on. You're you're the and she would say yeah I know I feel really I'm I'm the singer you know yeah right I'm the actor you're the singer Let's so just, yeah so the equation I made was I I, I better become a musician ah uh, okay so my next question was yeah, literally like how did we get from yeah. this acting career that you're pursuing versus to the musician Phil yeah well that's 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 where it started okay I said okay well I'm going to pursue music uh, and as a guitarist yeah yeah. Back then, one might say that I was brought up in a sort of a cult. And, and the cult. <laughs> where, where are we going with this? The, yeah. the cult in Melbourne was music, live oh, original right. music. Yeah. And it was quite strict in how you went about it and and what was considered credible or not. And it, it was very, very strict, right? So it had to be original. You couldn't play covers. Right. And you had it had to be quite alternative, and it had and it was kind of like there were the more out you could go, the better. And so I was like, yeah, I can get into this. This is kind of feels like acting because you're sort of you're sort of improvising, and it's yep. very um, kind of organic. Uh, and the music that we were into was a sort of a post punk kind of thing. And, and were you just playing with random bands during this? I had a, you I was form I, your own band. Well, I met a guy called Gumpy. Phillips. <laughs> and, um, what a name. Yeah, it's great. He was a very. He's gumpy now. He, he's up in. Uh, he's up in. Queensland. Please say Queensland. Correct. Oh, yes, gumpy. See, he yeah. feels like yeah. he's fitting up there. And he was a real influence on me because he, he was his own thing, right? He didn't have to do anything. He was just his own thing. And there were no uh, pretenses or affectation. He just. It's really hard to describe. He was just a sort of a, his own thing. And. Um, he had a band who I kind of muscled in on called Battle Happy. And were you just along for the ride at that point in time or were you driving some of this? A little bit. And then when I got a bit of a taste of it, I was like, okay, we could, ta- we could sort of, we could um, take this somewhere. Um, but it all kind of like just, just 
just fizzled. That's sort of when I started to play uh, a bit more music with Kate, which was mm-hmm. great. And then we started playing. Well, she dragged me kicking and screaming into this uh, jazz scene, which was great. I learned a lot. But, geez, those jazz guys, a lot of them were assholes. <laughs> <laughs> and so interesting. Yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned your sister there, the magnificent Kate Sobrano. Mm. What's that dynamic like and, and how is it working with your sister? I, um, Kate just had this uh, – Kate was learning piano. Mm-hmm. She'd been learning piano and one day someone said to her, why don't you, the piano teacher, you should sing a song with your piano playing because it'd be good, you've got a good voice. And then she started singing a song called To Sir With Love. Yeah. Right? And we, it was literally like one of those scenes from um, a movie where the whole family comes from all the corners of the house into this one room. And it goes, holy shit. Yeah. And goes, holy shit. So there was something, there was definitely something really special there. And Kate, Kate and I were really good mates. And so, you know, I used to go to all of her sort of gigs. She was like playing in like an 80s cover band and then before she got kind of discovered by I'm Talking. And it was a lot of fun, you know. And I was doing my thing on the side, acting. And like I said before, we kind of joined forces with this weird disco thing that we did, which was good. And then we did the jazz thing. And it was kind of like from that moment we were like um, – it was like kind of getting – it was like running downhill where if you stop you're going to land on your face, yeah. right? Uh, we were we, – we, it started because Kate's traje- trajectory was going like this. Um, I'm talking split and she ended up with this contract with London Records and we ended up over in London trying to make a record and uh, it was a real challenge uh, but, you know, it's uh, necessity is the mother of invention so – we we um we wrote a few great songs together and and that's when we kind of we that was the real joining of forces um and we we wrote the album Brave and I co-produced a few tracks on that and played all the guitars Amazing. on that stuff yeah. and um and then it was yeah from that moment that would have been 1989 yeah and what's it like working with your sister in terms of the personal relationship and the working relationship and trying to juggle the balance of that. Did you guys ever have challenges through that process or were you just great mates and you both had a love for music and you just got along with it? Like how did that work in the dynamic sense? It was awesome. It was it was very much a family kind of thing. We were very much um, uh, mum was the manager, uh, Kate the, you know, the, the focal point and the star and I was like the – the machine, you know, um, kind of running the band a bit, like music music direction a bit with the band, uh, and also was that organic as well? That that yeah. role for you? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, just that that, and the, there was a lot of loyalty there, and a sort of a sense of like going in on force, you know, like as a team. That went fantastic for many, many, many years. We did lots of lots of great stuff, lots of lots of awesome music. Yeah, but but I have to. I will say that um, when you commit yourself to something as a team member, you do have to sometimes put some of your own stuff to the side, and absolutely fine to do that. And if you are going to do that, my message out there to people out there: if you're going to do that, have it be someone. Have it be with someone like Kate Sobrano. Yeah, right. Because that's going to be, you know. 
I think many people have chosen, well, I'm going to go off and do my thing. Yeah, totally. Right. Yeah. And then How many times have you seen that fail? And you never hear from <laughs> Sometimes them. Sometimes You never hear from them, from, yeah. from them again. Um, my sister's very supportive of, of everything that I've ever done, you know. And um, eventually at some point you do have to, and it, it sort of happened to me about 20 years ago, I had to kind of try and explore what my, what my thing is. You know, after being focused and dedicated and and loyal to to being a, a side man, yep. try and try and work out what my thing is. Um, and interestingly, and a sort of a good tie into what you guys are, are, are talking about, I realised after being invited to play uh, quite a few events and private parties, I realised that a big part of what I do is to create. In the sixties, they used to call it a happening, right? Is to create like the modern age gathering. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> well, yeah, they, it's just it's it's people coming together and 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 they're being a vibe, right? And I I realised that one of my loves and one of my passions is how to make that happening happen. How to make that what what is it that that you you can have a room full of people and the the formula isn't quite right and all it is is just a room full of people. Or you can have a room full of people and it's been very carefully curated and there's a buzz. The whole is greater than the sum of its parts. So all if all the bits are thought through right, all the things are placed in the right place, including the kind of entertainment you get, then you've got a happening, right? And so I started to get invited to do these private parties. Uh, I remember one of the first ones, it was for the... Premier night party for Eyes Wide Shut. Oh wow! With uh, Tom, Tom Cruise, Cruise. Tom Cruise, Cruise and, yeah. yeah, and it was Stanley Kubrick directing. Yeah. And anyway, they called me because they wanted something special. They wanted something not cookie cutter. They wanted something a little bit kind of hand picked. Phil, can you put something together that's very special? By the way, Chris Isaac uh, will be down. Wow. It'd be good if you had a couple of Chris Isaac tunes up your sleeve, right? And it just so happened that I'd been working in LA with a producer that had worked with Chris, and I'd learned a few of the, the licks, the, that opening lick to Wicked mm, Game, yeah. you know, that that sort of thing. So I had that down, you know. And on the night, and we're playing away, just did exactly the right volume for people to be able to speak, and we looked great, you know. We, we sort of made the guys look kind of like they were in Chris Isaac's band, right? And then Chris Isaac walks in and without any kind of like huge fanfare or, or cue to me, I bring the band down and I go, bow down, right? And he just turns, knows his bit, walks up and he kind of gives me this knowing nod and you could have heard a pin drop and he starts singing Wicked Game, right? Wow. Oh, wow. Now, no rehearsal. No, in the moment. In the moment, right. But this is where I came up with the term um, planned spontaneity, right? People are absolutely addicted to something that is spontaneous. Right? Totally. But we in showbiz know mm. there's nothing, nothing spontaneous. spontaneous. No. It's all written yeah, it's down. All Even were that if I'm going to do these sorts of things, because like I said before, I was brought up in a cult called Melbourne and the music thing was all about original music. And the worst thing you could do was be in a cover band or play a function or an event, 
right? <laughs> right, seriously. Which look, yeah, yeah, it makes me laugh in the context of what I actually get you to do a lot of the times, well, or what we get entertainment to and, do. Yeah. And my approach to it was like always, well, if I am going to do it, it's got to be for the right people. It's got to be fun, and I want to really work with the clients to make it something really special. I don't want to just do cookie cutter. I, and I've done them before. Don't worry about that because every yeah, you yeah. know we've all got to put food on food the table, table, right? Yeah. But um, the ones that I, I give me the most sort of joy and the and the passion are the ones where I can I can work with a really good um, client that understands that. What do you want? And I say to them, if you just want a band, a cover band to get up there and play top footies covers and 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 be you know have people dancing, then. Then there are heaps of agencies you can call. Hundred percent. But if you want something special, you know, and and that's what that was the experience that I had through doing yeah. these, these events. And that's the important bit. I mean, taking it back to the event manager and the event producer. I mean, how easy it is to to pick a cover band, right? But actually thinking about your entertainment and more importantly working with your entertainment yeah. rather than just going, oh, I'll book it, done, finish and tick yeah. the box. It's you. It, there has to be a collaboration piece in there. There is. Absolutely. But, but Phil, what you were saying before about like you were already thinking about the process, you mm. know, like as in the event management process and, and listening to that, I've known you a long time, mm. but I understand why you're very good in that environment because you clearly understand the event management process oh. and what makes the, the crowd tick and what makes the, the, the experience. I have been witness to so many scenarios with mm. an artiste <laughs> uh, in those sorts of environments where they've been told, oh, you need to cut your set short and suddenly they think it's all about them. You know, the client's Toyota and the... The CEO of this is just uh, hypothetically. Yeah. Phil and you I know. both drive Toyotas, by the way. So yeah, we're very pro yeah. Toyota. Yeah, the C- <laughs> the CEO was really loving his speech, and it went yeah half an hour over time. Therefore, the artiste needs to cut their set short, right? And they they're having a hissy fit about it, right? Well, no one tells me. I was like, well, hang on, Toyota's paying you, yeah, to <laughs> provide not just your set as and your but your presence mm. is enough to to make it powerful. So just be a part, be a part of, of it. the event, yep. you know. So, you know, there's the the classic kind of um, templated event is a wedding, right? Now there's so many weird things about weddings that don't really work, <laughs> okay? Every now, every now and again I do a wedding, right, yep. and I try to – I try to shift the paradigm a little, you know, but if the band is going to go on after the speeches, they've just been belted to for 45 minutes and the event coordinator, if they're new, they'll be like, come on, band, on, 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 on. Well, the, the audience don't want to know nah. about it. No, no, no. They need a break. They need a break. It's they the highs and lows. They take a break. They need all the things. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> but this is the highs and low waves, right? This is yeah. when you're designing the event. That's You've got right. to really consider all these different moments and so forth, which is interesting. So because uh, two questions or two-folded questions, do you miss the good old days of events or are there elements in today's events that you prefer in terms of the way because they are a lot more structured and thought out? Um, and, you know, have you seen as your work sort of, you know, do you approach it differently now yeah. than what you did say 20 years ago? Okay. So when you talk about the good old days of events, events before they were events were called parties. Correct. Yep. 
the party right. industry. Which even Peter Jones talked about 100%. that. 100%. Yeah, that's how he and, started. And as he picks up his f- mobile phone, there weren't these. Yeah. Right? So there was no evidence. And so people could let their hair down and they weren't going to be photographed on the floor, dressed up to the nines. Do what you want. Slips. Stays in the room. Yeah, right. And they were having fun. They were having a lot of fun. So when you were booked to do a really special event, it was almost like you were in the inner circle, you know, and the types of places that I've been I've been flown into and people's houses that I've played in their, you know, their backyard, it's mind-blowing, right? But my thing has never changed. I want to give people, I want to, I want to leave people better off after having experienced what I've got to offer. Uh, I want to have them feeling better off after that mm. than they, Leave than on they were before. Yeah. You know, and, and, and go to whatever lengths I need to do, you know. Um, I, can, I can go right, right, right back to a band that I was in called Arnie Deltoid's Muscle Beach Party and we were like a surf punk band and we played a party in Brighton for a um, for an 18th and they'd put a stage over the pool and yep. a marquee and the band stage was on where the spa was, right, and there were 70 kids and we were playing I Want Candy, right, sort of that sort of beat and they were jumping up and down, pogoing on oh, this. Wow. Oh, this is going to yeah. end well. <laughs> and then there was this. heard these girders give oh, and the no. stage goes in like this and 70 Folds kids themselves. folding Fold. in the deep end of a pool, right? We down tools and we're <laughs> fishing kids out. The parents are standing around with glasses of champagne in shock, right? Then the PA starts to go. Oh, and I'm no. Three-phase. Yes. Electricity and water don't right. mix together. And I can see my mate who's passed away now, Stewie Speed, didn't pass away on the night, but um, <laughs> thank God. He's holding onto uh, the edge of the uh, marquee pole and the wheel at the bottom of this huge speaker that's about to go in on and fall in on top of this girl like this. It was like in slow motion, you know. Um, and they pulled the power. We fished the kids out and everyone's in shock and everyone's freaking out. So what I do then is we take a snare drum to the tennis court, my amp with an extension cord, plug my mic into the amp and we continue to play Keep on the party t- going. tennis court. Now, now there'd be an incident report and a risk management plan. No, we'll be shutting it down for a week and a half. So you're, you're absolutely right. So that's what I miss. I don't miss the – what I miss a little bit of danger. I, I miss a little bit of um, kind of um, – in some ways, spontaneity. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. you planned spontaneity. Yeah, yeah. It, I, miss, I miss that. Everything <laughs> these days is so compliant and so to the book and so to the letter, you know. Still want to be a part of something that, that, um, that pushes the envelope a little bit. Or gives you a bit of freedom. Uh, as you would know, Buzz, uh, um, a lot of what makes great things happen is built on a foundation of trust. Yeah. Now, trust is built over years and it's built over um, observations and experiences that you've had together where you know someone can pull through and you know their strengths and uh, you, you put them in their, their wheelhouse and you say, you know, what to do. And, and a perfect example is a recent event that I did with Buzzer um, for MND. Mm-hmm. Now, 
It was a long day. It was a huge day. Yeah. It was a long day and it was it was sort of chilly. There was a chill in the air and so everyone that was there was there to support the cause and they were they were, you know and the people that were left at the end uh, because after walking how many, however many hundreds of laps yeah. you would just want to go but the people that, that are there at the end they deserved to be given something special yeah right even though there might have only been 80 I was people say, left. There, there wasn't many but there was enough to you know still have the energy and they were there they were there to you know yeah. really feed off what you were giving them and That's Robbo, right. yeah so therefore i'm not going to say oh let's just wind it up i'm going to say no yeah. let's let's uh Let's give these these people, these existing people, for being such legends. Let's give them everything we can, you know, which we did. You did, you yeah. know, <laughs> you yeah. did. That's it important. was awesome. Okay, so moving along, two pieces of advice I wanted to ask you in terms of from your experience and what you do. Yeah. First, to event managers and producers out there that are working with you, what's one thing they can improve or makes your life easy, and what's a real bugbear of yours you wish they would stop? Wow. Wow. Okay. Well, I believe this across the board, uh, not just with events but in life in general, that communication is the key and not just me talking at you but me establishing a relationship with you and me sharing information and also understanding and getting that that information has been understood and then upkeeping that conversation, right? So about and I and I'm, it might be about what time you go on, okay? So it, just because it's in the on the clipboard, and that you go on at one, right? We had a conversation earlier. We got to know each other. I gave you a bit of a brief on the the day and everything, right? Um, if that changes, we well, roll. We roll yeah. with it, right? But a lot of musicians and a lot of event coordinators are sort of OCD, you know, because they live off a, a, a spreadsheet. They live off the the um, the running the run sheet, the yeah. run sheet, you know, which I get. Yep. But great things happen organically as well, you know, and and to be able to shift and move is crucial. I think it's really really crucial. So I would say. Um, Sometimes people have to go back to the drawing board a little bit on their own personal communication skills, you know, and and people skills. We're in we're not in the we're not in the business of events. We're in the bit we're in the business of people. Totally, we are. Uh, the event is just a, a platform. It's a pro- yeah, it's a product. It's a product. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, and if you if you are if you if you're betting on the event. It's not the thing that's going to get you another event. <laughs> you've, got to, you've got to, you've got to, you've got to have the people buzzing, you know, and that comes through communication and connecting. So the thing that my bugbear is ego, um, and there are enough egos out there in the world of business. Let's make, let's make the event space be something where it's a little bit more like a community. Uh, where we're all looking after each other, and um, and that we're not trying to uh, win over each other. It's teamwork, yeah. teamwork, communication, flexibility, all those that, things that, come into it. That's right, isn't it? Of course. I'm, yeah. I'm not sounding too kind no, of no, sanctimonious. No, 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 not at all. You, you're spot on, and because I mean, our our space is difficult. You know, like our industry is challenging, but it should be fun. That's what we're doing. We're totally. creating fun experiences yeah. and memorable experiences. So there needs to be some 
flexibility and everything that you just mentioned, it can't be too rigid. Yeah, but it comes back to what we were talking about earlier around the, the run sheet and being so some, – there's so many event managers and producers that are so tied to their run sheet, their schedule, whatever you want to call it, production schedule, they've got no flexibility built into themselves and you have to be flexible. You have to be able to adapt. You have to be able to shift and move and – restructure on the fly and because sometimes things happen and they're outside of control but so many people are so caught on that spreadsheet that they become you know the ego comes in and goes right this is what's happening at this time i don't care what anyone says which is more of a tv thing yeah i did an event you gotta be live i didn't i did an event and you know the auctioneer went went over time the speeches went over time the band did a set people were starting to leave and by the time that that they left uh, in that that first set, um, there was probably after that first set, there was probably only about twenty people left in the yeah, room. Yeah, wow. Right, uh, and so they and they'd played. The band had played for an hour and took a fifteen minute break. Right, and then my, the, my band leader looked out, and there was literally the event coordinator there and one other person. <laughs> right, and he called it. He said, "Okay," and and they were the lights were coming up, and there were oh, people wow. clearing the tables. Yeah, and he called it. Anyway, the event coordinator stormed in uh, while the band were sort of packing up and saying, "What are you doing?" And we said, "Well, there's no one in the room." And that event coordinator said, well, "No, no, you've got another set. We've paid for another set." Mm-hmm. Oh my god! It was then it was then a battle of clean up well, stuff, <laughs> like of of them of that that event company uh, tr- trying to. Change the um, what they were going to pay for. Yeah, the, parameters yeah. of engagement, so to speak, because you yeah. only played one set. But it was actually it wasn't the that's was, an impact of actually mm-hmm. the structure of the event, not actually the band's fault. So that's a whole different conversation we get into. Second question I wanted to ask you um, for the budding musician or entertainer: What's one piece of advice to help them ensure they have a successful career? Your audience is the most important person in the room. Your audience are the most important people in the in the room. Your the being on the receiving end of the communication is the most important uh, position to be in. Um, you have an incredible gift and a, that you've worked on really, really um, hard at uh, and you really, really love to do it. That's fantastic. That's your passion. That's great. But it doesn't mean anything unless you can be at the receiving end and and um, feel the joy. Share the, share the joy that you've got. Um, I think that's... Mm. Empathy, you know, um, the really – the guys I look up to, the, the, the ones that are still going and still successful and still powering away, they've got a lot of that. Yeah. You know? It's an interesting balance and I'd be interested to hear your perspective on this. It's like I'm always a big believer in, particularly for the producers and the managers out there, stop selecting entertainment based on your own personal likes mm-hmm. Think about your audience first, you know. Your oh, audience yeah. are the ones that are entertained and and so hence it gets really challenging sometimes mm. for the entertainers themselves who have been booked for an event thinking they're walking into an environment that's completely different because the old budding event manager loves Phil and it's all great and I'm going to have Phil play because he's my best mate but rah, 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 rah. but I've, Phil's not the right person for I've that been gig. Bo- I've been booked on gigs like that. Yeah. And, yeah. It, and it was wrong. It was totally wrong. Yeah. Which makes you, puts you in a really difficult position. It yeah? really does. Yeah. And... Sort of luckily, luckily I've got a kind of a repertoire of I don't know over a thousand songs, and I'm able to shift in the moment. Yeah, right. Literally mid set sometimes. Okay, this isn't working. I need yeah. to shift. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've done. I remember doing a specific gig, a particular 
remember this particularly for a building group, builders, 700 builders in a room. The request was and the brief was we, we want James Brown. We want James Brown music. We want soul music, James Brown. And we also want disco, right? Ends up it cleared the floor, cleared the room, <laughs> yeah. everyone left. And the only two people were the two CEOs of the, of the company right. and yeah. their wives. Yep. They're the ones that wanted the James Brown That's music. That's what they wanted. Yeah. We'd, we'd worked two or three rehearsals in of, of specific James Brown style yep. tunes, changed Kate Sobrano songs to sound like, you James know, Brown. Aretha Franklin wow. and James Brown, right? Wow. And it was only for those two. And so I've worked with um, clients before and the, the big boss, you know, I'm paying the bill. I'll that, get what I want. That's right. it. And I and I and I'm a bit cheeky. And I've said, oh, okay, so, because the, I remember them saying one particular event was um, in a meeting in a boardroom, and I've come in. I've had five hours sleep the night before, whatever. And uh, she said, uh, "Who's picked this '80s theme? Why are we doing an '80s theme? Who is it?" This little girl down the end. Oh, I did. You know, and she's. She's one of the sort of middle middle to lower level management. Yeah. Um, why are we doing an 80s scene? Well, because that's what everyone wants, right? And then I turned to the, the boss and I said, what, what's your favourite music? She goes, oh, I want 70s rock. And I go, I love 70s rock too. That's what I play on the weekends. But you have to listen to what they want, you know, because sometimes our own taste. Mm. It's not about us. Isn't what. Of course. What, everyone else wants. And she's. And this, I was cheeky and I remember the event coordinator sitting there saying, shut up, Phil. <laughs> shut up, Phil. You won't get your bill paid. It's kind of, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, that's, yeah, you have to listen to the people. Yeah, so, yeah, all right, I'm going to shift this a little bit. So we're going to take you, taking your life off stage, you know, you're a man of many skills, which Brad talked about in your intro. Mm. Um, some may not know, but you are also the creative director of Flourish PR, yeah. which you run with your wife, Ange, and you celebrated 15th anniversary recently. Yeah. Congratulations. So what does that role look like for you? And is that something that you had a passion for or just evolved into? Uh, I was sort of dragged kicking and screaming <laughs> into, into, into the role. Uh, I'd been on the road with James Rain playing big festivals, Days on the Green, you oh, know, yeah. thousands of people. We did a tour supporting Rod Stewart. I remember we played in New Zealand. I think the biggest crowd I've ever played to was in a – he's huge in New Zealand, Rod Stewart. And uh, we were supporting and I think there was about 80,000 people in Do the they have that many arena. people? In, yeah. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Was, sorry, no, Kiwi audience. Seriously. <laughs> oh, there's this one particular town where there's a lot of Scottish people. Um, Dunedin, I think yeah, it's called. Dunedin, yeah, yeah, And we yeah. played the arena there. Yeah. I got, it blew my mind, like tiny little town and this arena. That's huge. Full. Full. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? Amazing. So I, I was living the dream um, but I'd get, I get, I hope I can say this, I'd get paid more for one corporate event Yeah. working with a really good client um, in one night. I'd get paid more in one night than I would being on the road for a month and it just wasn't making any sense. And right. I'm, I'm not that I'm you know, driven by money. But at that point, particular point yeah. in our lives, it was like, well, and so Ange called it and she said, hey, you, you really need to have a look at this, you know. Mm. Um, and I said, well, what am I gonna, what, am, what am I going to do? You know, she said, well, keep doing corporate gigs and, and then come and work at Flourish. What am I going to do at Flourish? And so I started to sort of work my way into a role of creative director. And what, what that is, is creating content, 
um, brainstorming ideas, I, thinking outside the box mm. on things. I do media training with um, with a lot of our clients, helping them t- to become better at presenting and better on camera. I, sh- I shoot a lot of a lot of social media content and editing and and creating music and also getting involved in events. So uh, PR now has sort of expanded obviously into social media but also into activations and, yeah. and events. Yeah. And and so having my, my background in entertainment, it's really the, the, the field is called communications, right? And I, I, on, I honestly think that what I've, what I've been put here to do is to, is to be a communication facilitator, you know, help, to help people um, and to communicate things, you know. So that's my role at, at, at Flourish and I really love it. Yeah, it's, I it's, can tell and I can kind of vouch for that because I've sat with you on some pitch meetings, yeah, you know, a handful of them and, and you, what I've seen is that you're, you're a real natural at kind of painting the picture and captivating an audience with how the event could look and, and the flow. So is that a skill that came about from your experiences as a live performer um, you know, and, and in what ways does music, does your music career impact the, this PR creative director role and, and that whole environment that you're now in? Right. Well, I think that... Um, I think that a lot of what we do is solve problems mm. and that's in, you know, events, it's in entertainment and really, really great entertainment solves a whole lot of problems over different areas, you know. Uh, how are we going to make the people feel good? Problem number one. How are we, how are we going to make the people think something, feel a certain thing? That's all done, that can all be done through repertoire, a type of type of musical style, you know. And in PR, uh, solving the problem of getting a, a person's business or product known comes through communication and the nuances of communication are a very artistic sort of very creative field. It's right? quite, am I right in saying, Phil, it's, it's specific? It's yeah. specific. Yeah. Yeah. I remember working with one client, for example, and he was selling sunglasses and he was all obsessed with the quality of the sunglasses, where they were made. You know, the frames are from Italy and the, the, the glass is hand, hand uh, ground in a small village in, in, in Japan, which is uh, just about 50 minutes out of Tokyo, a, a tiny village where they specialise in this. And I'm sitting through this and I go, okay, all right, does... Johnny Depp have a pair of your sunglasses. He goes, "Oh, Phil, it can't be that. That it can't. You're not telling me that it's that obvious and that terrible." I said, "Unfortunately, that's part of it. Yeah, it really, really is part of it because quality in a product what? is great. You know, I could say I'm the greatest performer in the world, right? But." Um, if I'm not doing any gigs and if I didn't do a private party for Tom Cruise, then I'm, you know, it doesn't really, it's still just me saying I'm the, the, yeah, the greatest. Yeah, it doesn't resonate, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, yeah. Where Does, do you see music and entertainment for events in the future? Well, if we can just look at where it's at now, um, I think that there are a lot of situations where we plunk a really great looking model that's a DJ in and that provides enough boom shakalaka for a certain part of the night. And I think that's great. It's an easy 
fit and it's an easy sort of fix mm. for for a youthful kind of audience. Um, I think that um, combined with really honed entertainers and performers um, to, to make a kind of a complete night that takes you on a bit of a journey. I think that uh, music, unless it's part of a curated ex- complete experience, can be token. It can be a background band, you know, just plonk, plonk a bit of a band up there and just so that we've got a bit of something. Or it's a DJ, you know, and all have their merit, you know, but it's 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 all powerful if you can curate how and the timings of that and how it actually takes a person on a journey. Is that hundred no, percent? I, 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 I know what you're saying because I'm as you were speaking, I'm trying to visualize some events that you know we've worked on, which it's hard. It's not an easy thing to do. It sounds easy, but it's not. And sometimes you even have to um, get the DJ and the muso in the room together and actually formulate what that looks like and yeah. even have them perform at the same time even at, at some point. Um, it can work great though. I agree with you. Back in the really day work. it was um, back in the day it was uh, it was always hard when a DJ would come on in between sets or after the band. Um, recorded music is mastered to a level where it can be turned up really, really loud and there's no distortion, right? Now, distortion, whether it's conscious or not, is uncomfortable, right? So a DJ can only has to be 5 or 10 dB louder than the band, but it's going to – people are going to pump, yep. right? So my thing was always let's try and get it so we build the night so that rather than you come on after the first set and just slam, slam it. Slam everyone. You're not going <laughs> to no. give it anywhere to go, Yeah. right? Yeah. You know, so it's better if we can work together. Um, that Carlton event we did last year was a good example of that. Yeah, remember? Perfect. Where you guys played, and then you know the crowd was up and about, and then yeah. DJ Emma came on yeah. with Emanuela. Yeah, and it was fucking amazing. It was yeah. great. Yeah, yeah. And we've often um, worked in that if the DJ's on one side of the room and the band's on the other, yeah. that we'll play. And I think we did it on that yeah. night. We, I said, "Hey, what's the first song of your DJ set?" And she said, "It's whatever it was." And so, okay, well, we'll make that the last song of ours and transition we'll in, cross yeah. mix it in. Yeah. Right. You got no gaps. Yeah. Yeah. It was so, awesome. Yeah. 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 It's seamless. And it's all part of it. And it's all part of the planning. Do you think there's any current trends in society or business, such as like AI or virtual performances, that we should be thinking about integrating into our live entertainment? And what's your stance on that? I'm sure that's going to, you know, there'll be, I'm sure there'll be, you know, virtual stuff happening but what i do think will be a byproduct of all of that is stuff that you can't simulate with technology like and it will be it'll be like me doing an event where i know that the um the cfo is actually a bit of a guitar guitarist right and i work with him beforehand that at some stage I'm going to come walk out with my wireless and I'm going to be shredding a solo and I'm going to take my guitar off and throw it to him, right? And he'll look like what's going on and the spotlight will go on him and he'll shred the solo from Sweet Child of Mine, you know, um, by Guns N' Roses and it'll bring the house down, right? Now that's not me. That's not the event. That's something that AI or technology or, or, uh, uh, you know, a... $100,000 light show cannot 
bring that same sort of thing, right? So I think what will happen in the future is we'll be looking to to try and incorporate those human things that that we can um, selfishly own and that technology can't. And create, create. even yourself, yeah. 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 Yeah, that's what I think. Does that does that answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. I think it goes back to the the essence of creativity and what mm-hmm. it's about. And it's yeah. just looking at it in a different lens. And again, we come back to personal experience. We come back to audience. We come back to the same key topics that we've been talking about. And yeah. you know, it's planned spontaneity in those kind of situations as well, just yeah. in a different way. So, look, years ago, years ago, it was all about um, when drum machines and computers came. Yeah. In, you know, oh, yeah. it's going to put drummers mm-hmm. out of work. You know. <laughs> Um, and a really great byproduct from that was that drummers actually got a lot better at playing grooves, yeah. And and they got a lot better at getting in with technology and going, okay, well, you know, how can I, mm. how can I sort of, um, not, not if you can't beat them, join them. But it's like, yeah, cool. Yeah. I'll, I'll I'll play along with the click track. I'll play and along with add the drum. another little feather, right, in your cap. If totally. you can do that, it's yeah. just yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, right. Phil, yes. we like to finish these uh, podcasts up with uh, with what we call buzzers rapid fire questions. Oh, so here we go. I didn't rapid warn you about this. Yeah. No, so. so I'm going to hand over to, to yeah. the my show. He's had a couple of months off to think about this, but uh, <laughs> Buzz, uh, hit him up, mate. Go for it. Short, sharp answers, Phil. I know you're not always good at that, but let's try. Okay. Not just yes or no. Okay. Uh, no, no, just no. just a bit short answers. Me. Okay. Who's got the better head of hair, you or your partner in crime, Russell Robertson? Me. Excellent. <laughs> You've you practiced martial arts for a long time. Can you break a wooden board? I probably could give it a red hot Aussie go. Would it end up in plaster? That wasn't really written down, but I just thought of that. You know what Bruce Lee said? Boards don't fight back. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, the first album you ever purchased? Uh, first album was Led Zeppelin 4. It's not no it's not called Led Zeppelin 4. It's just called Led Zeppelin, but it's the one with um, I know which one it is. Yeah. Black Dog. Yep. Yeah. First concert? First concert was well okay, there's well there's two first one my mum took us to see uh Neil Diamond at the Maya Music Bowl and we we watched from the fence up the back. Um that would have been in 1974. Something like that. Neil Diamond. Yeah. There you go. That's awesome. And your most recent? Most recent concert. I don't get to go out as much to see bands. Yes. You're a father now, yes, so that's going to shorten up. Now that I'm a father. Um, <laughs> most recent, oh, well, okay. Most recent concert. I, I'm supposed to keep this really short, but um, I run a school holiday program called Rock Academy and Part of the program is at the end of the week they do a show. They do a show in a proper uh, venue. So that that was the last concert I went to, the yeah, Rock Academy. Nice. Con- concert, yeah. Cool. Who is one band or entertainer you believe everyone should have a listen to or go and see in their lifetime? Go and see. Well, you can't see Prince or Bowie anymore. No. Um, but they have to be living, right? Uh, yes. You could listen to those two without you seeing them. To those two. Who do you want to see? This? Okay. I don't know. John Mayer. Yeah, he's pretty awesome. He's nice. incredible. Yeah. Uh, who is the most underrated? Sorry, what is the most underrated element of working in entertainment? Oh, gee. Uh, I guess free food. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Straight back to the That's writer. That's great. Yeah. That's so Never good. Never forget the writer. <laughs> 
We've had a couple of these conversations. Buzz, where's the fucking food? Yeah. Um, that's good. I like that. A final one. So anyone who follows you on social media got to know the famous ISO dance. Yeah. Have you managed to get your beautiful wife, Ange, to ever give it a crack? As Ange is not a dancer. No, that's why I asked the question. I'm uh, really keen to know this. And there are I – don't, I don't even know if there are videos of our wedding, but we did do a bridal kind of dance, <laughs> the wedding. It wasn't an ISO dance. It was a but wedding no, dance. We, 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 I haven't managed to get – and in fact, during lockdown, uh, when I would do my ISO dances, there'd be some points where, it, you know, where we all felt yeah. globally like, oh, why bother? And she would give me that look of like, why, why, do, you, why do you bother? Right. <laughs> uh, and I don't know, it just kept, it kept, kept some kind of flame alive. Yeah, but I never managed to get her along. Okay, so the answer is no, but we do want to see the ISO dance back, I think, at some point. And little Jimmy, I'm sure, at well, some point. Well, I think I'll yeah. call it the dad, dad dance or something like that or, um, yeah, father parent dance or father dance or something like that. Nice one. Nice one. Well, well done. Very good. That's Very it good. You survived. Very good. Hey, a bit of a tradition to finish uh, this yes. up that we're, we're starting here on an event for life, okay. and that is we've asked the previous guest to leave the next guest a question without knowing who they are. So today's question to you, yeah. what is one thing you would change in your life that you believe would have impacted your professional work? Uh, okay. One thing would have been to learn to read music. Wow. Yeah. You still can't read music? No. Wow. I mean, a little bit. Yep. And I, I say that, but the caveat on that is that uh, – I'm not saying it would have changed my my professional life for the better, but it would have changed it. Don't In what grow. way? Well, the reason I say not for the better because if I could if I could read and and I may have ended up playing guitar in a pit for musicals. Now that's not my dream or passion, but we all have to sort of put food on the table, yeah. right? And having that ability to read would have given me that other you know, opportunities. Yeah. It would have probably um, allowed me to to pursue on a more intense level um, session playing a bit. Oh, yeah. yeah. But, you know, I think at the same time in answering that question, I've probably been a bit sort of like sensible. It's a sensible answer. The, uh, the non-sensible answer is uh, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's a great way to wrap it up. Um, Phil, you've certainly had a very diverse life. Um, an eventful a, life. An oh, eventful dad life. jokes. Oh, look at that. But ultimately, thank you very much for joining us on An Eventful Life. Um, like I said, it's been incredibly insightful um, and very diverse and uh, we appreciate the, the creative creativity thought that goes into your work and what you do and, you know, see yourself as more of an entertainer and that's certainly how we see you as in the industry as well. And, um, but everything else you do outside of the industry to help, you know, the kids in schools to, uh, to all your PR work and comms work and obviously now being a father is, uh, another chapter in your life. So we look forward to seeing what's next and thank you very much. Thanks for having me. There was not one dad joke in that interview, by the way. I know, I was, I, you know, <laughs> thinking back, I was very, uh, very um, earnest, wasn't I? You were. But no, thanks, mate. Really appreciate you coming along. And uh, yeah, that was awesome. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of An Eventful Life. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss an episode. It makes a huge difference to us. And don't forget, you can also find us on our new YouTube channel. 
This show is for you, our listeners. Our aim is to bring you the most in-depth conversations and life experiences from the event industry. So if you have any feedback, suggestions on guests you would like us to interview on the show, please reach out to us through our social media channels. I'm Brad. And I'm Shane. See you next time on An Event for Life.